This is an excerpt from Different Ways, Revealing the Feminine by Seal, published 2020. Chapter 8. ch ch changes One day, this tall, lanky kid showed up in the theater class in high school. He was timid with a sweet smile. There was something genuine about Thaddeus, something unusually accessible. Electric kids often developed cliques, and we were no exception in the theater. We were a gang of thespians, and we all took an immediate liking to this new kid. I adored him. Our birthdays were close, so I insisted we be friends, as if his arrival was kismet. In my mind, Thad was someone very special, because he was so genuinely good and smart. He seemed held together with some supernatural, benevolent glue. Handsome, with a loving nature, he stood out. Being in a group or tribe like that in California high school is a bit like running in an untamed canine pack. We all went through this rather bigger-than-life experience referred to as the 60s, and it had all the subtleties of a demolition derby at its core. Being teens and not having a history to refer to made this our time. To us, it was personal, and we were all in. All in to the drugs, the sex, and the rock and roll, and the newness that all the experiences the aforementioned activities stimulated. We were loose and at large, ahead of the police and law enforcement, and any sort of restriction. We were undefined. No one was aware of what kind of trouble we were, because we were just inventing it. There was no language for what we were, no definition. We were a harmless, peculiar trend to authorities. Some hippies, peaceniks. Oh, those kids. The world was our Pearl Harbor. We were the product of a reaction to an irritation in an established social process. Our reactions would land like atoms, splitting, laying waste to the status quo. Had I known how valuable and impactful these times would turn out to be in the world, and to me in my lifetime, I would have been a better person with the precious gem I was gifted. I was sixteen, a teenager, tossing about all sorts of wild ideas. I was supposed to know more about life than I did. I was playing grown-up games without understanding the concept of consequence. Does any teenager? Some who have discipline and guidance, perhaps. I was on my own, and I liked it that way, and the, and the trouble I got into corresponded to my naivety and the volatility of the times. At this time of my life, I had troubles with my mother's choice of who she had decided to marry. He was better than number three husband, the pedophile, for my mother, Yet husband four was a man who had never had any children. I didn't care about him one way or the other. I was happy for my mom. She had someone, and he wasn't a creep. Good. I had been left to my own devices for years prior to their marriage. This husband of hers decided 
that I was in need of discipline, however, and took to me like a ranch hand who might try to break a wild mare. I was grounded and sent to a room for some infraction of the house rules. This was laughable and frightening, both, like being introduced to some new kind of hell on earth. I recall sitting in my appointed room on the bed, thinking how ridiculous it all was. I packed a few things, marched into the living room, lit a smoke, and said, Sorry, I can't do grounded, like I was Keith Richards or someone, and walked out the door. I walked to a friend's house for the night. Sadly, this was not the kind of bravado I was able to maintain at length. In the end, this resulted in my applying for an emancipation. I was 16, and in California, if you were 16, you could petition for such a thing, I found out. I simply had to find a willing foster parent to get me to 18 years old. For this sacrifice, they were given a small monthly stipend by the state. I was on the auction block. I found a home through the petition of my friend Bill, primarily. He had a thing for me still from middle school, and in his own words, incest is in this year. It was this kind of irreverent talk that undid me about Bill and pulled involuntary squeals of laughter out of me. I just thought him the funniest and cleverest guy on earth. He talked his mother and family into letting me live with them, a move, I believe, that fell hard upon them later as our times together unwound. One of the most regrettable moments of my life was when I had my mother sign the paper emancipating me. This woman, who had given me so much in my life, I stood over her and watched her sign that paper. She was in tears. I will never forget how badly I felt, but not bad enough to stop myself from making her declare publicly that she failed as a mother. This was what she had felt. The image of that moment is seared into my memory. By rights, I should have been struck down by a bolt of lightning right then and there. But life had another brutal plan for me. In truth, it was my mom that repeatedly helped me out from many a trouble I found myself in later as I went into adulthood. We partied in those days. It was all about the dope and the music and the scene. Afternoons would drag by until the evening, and we could own the night, and we did. Parents did not monitor their children as they do now. Parenting then seemed to be contingent upon how soon you could get the kid grown and out of the house so you could live the life you really wanted to live. Not many parents were going to gripe about a kid that independently amused themselves. When we were busted for some kind of offense, like necking or wandering around late at night being suspicious or panhandling of vagrancy, one faced a frowning parent and a wagging finger, but not much else. Our violations were still undefined in larger society. No authorities knew what pot was or LSD. It wasn't even on the radar. Ours was an hour in the lifetime of a group of teens born in the early 50s where society fell asleep under its own hypnotic spell. Well, some of them did. 
there were those around who noticed something exciting afoot, and they took advantage of it in various ways, some innocently, some not so much. Thad lived in a beautiful Victorian house with his dad, a single parent. His dad was a character, a man who fancied himself with the times, who often threw parties and shared some of his exotic knowledge, like how to roast an entire pig underground and how to be free enough to let your kids and their friends have the run of the house. He enjoyed hosting the rock bands and their groupies. He had a glamorous work history as an engineer. He built bridges all over the world. He was that kind of dad, gregarious, international, cavalier, a man's man with the requisite swagger. Everyone loved him. I was often at Thad's house. I was deep into the group that ran the streets of my hometown. There really was little defined as taboo. We went camping in caravans of Model T's, beater trucks, motorcycles, and Volkswagen buses. We swam naked in the rivers and paraded our bohemian ways through the county, being noisy and shocking people. We partied until dawn, often without our clothes on. We smoked and hallucinated and laughed at the world in general. When I stayed at Thad's house after a party or just because I landed there, I would often crawl into bed with Thad in his room. He would tense up and I would ignore it. Figured he'd tell me to leave if he wanted me to. I dearly wanted to have sex with him because I adored him in that way. And how else would he know how I felt about him? This was all I knew of sharing with boys I was attracted to. I was not aware of any other means of communication, only giving over my body. One day, Thad quartered me on the front porch and confessed to me that he was gay. To his credit and my shame, that must have taken a lot for him to share in those days, but it was wasted on me. I did not know what gay was. You would be hard-pressed to find a girl or anyone who was more sexually active than I who knew less about human sexuality. As far as I knew, I just had to show up and guys delivered. In my mind, this must be some kind of phase Thad was going through. I didn't have enough self-esteem, respect, or common sense to ask him. As was my habit, I just pretended to know more than I did and hoped I'd figure it out or it would work out. And, as with all things sexual and in regards to relationships, my actions and inactions were fiercely entangled in the shadow of my being molested as a child and abandoned with no male role model. I would just leave my body when having sex. This part of my personality was deeply flawed and insensitive, but I had no knowledge or control of it then. It was a time of free love. The times were what they were, and I was a child of the times. It was all I knew to do. My karma clock was ticking, but only the angels could actually tell that kind of time, and I did not deal in the celestial. My foster mother developed a thing for Thad's dad. All of a sudden she was flouncing about the house, humming to herself and smiling at nothing. We would side-eye each other as we noticed she had taken to wearing eye makeup. We could all see how she was when he was around and knew what was up. We were happy for her, I was. 
I recall her slaving away making a handsome copy of the little prince bound in leather for him for a present. It was beautiful. I thought, she must really love him. For all I knew, it was a match made in heaven. If there was any gossip about the relationship, I was not in on it. I realized later there must have been plenty of conversation around this that I was not privy to. I have a foggy recollection of one night and an orgy planned in the attic at Thad's. I recall being a bit bored with the idea myself, but whatever. I was in for the ride. As this orgy unfolded, and I suspect there were drugs and alcohol involved, as I have a very little recall of this event, I was no doubt stoned to the rafters. I do recall that I positioned myself in the pile of bodies near Thad. I was aware I was taking advantage of the situation as an opportunity to have my way by placing him in a compromising position with our peers. Again, lightning should have struck. Suffice it to say, my action was not of the heart, but the will. In time, Thad's dad would find a way to assert his will over me. That was my consequence for this. So said the narrative for years. These were impacted years with things happening so fast and furious that it is almost impossible to keep them chronological in one's mind. Certainly now it is at my age. There are some events, some wounds, some actions, however, that stay with us for a lifetime because they are catastrophes that anchor us to what we need to address, own, and, if possible, heal in our lives. Some situations force us into our humility, our shame, into what we do not want to feel or remember, but we must to live fully in the present and to love genuinely. Some events are perpetual, inherited wounding through generations that need to be stopped by someone in that line. That's the goal. Someone has to find the courage to say, no more. Not one more child, not one more sacrifice to someone else's demons. Amid all this heartache, and in this incredible musical, this is what I was doing. Breaking a chain that reached through time itself to heal what was left too long in the dark. A Handyman My father's mother, Fanny, who had quietly kept track of me as I was growing up, sometimes took me in when I was small on Saturdays for a visit. I adored her. She was the polar opposite of my nana. She laughed with her whole body and had hugs and snuggles. She was religious, or so I thought, as she was always saying, Lordy! in exclamation. She spoke with a slight dialect reminiscent of someone uneducated. She was from Iowa. Her words schmoozed together and offered a lilt that suggested a special kind of innocence I associated with sincere kindness. She and my grandpa were poor and lived in assisted housing, referred to as the projects at that time. The irony is that the living situations that were thought at that time poor are now considered long-term residences suitable for people of moderate to moneyed means. Back then, 
Apartment living was considered temporary quarters. Anything other than living in an actual house was considered transient, second class, or lower in those days. Mom would drop me off, and I would spend the day with Grandma and Grandpa watching boxing and wrestling. TV was black and white, and I had never seen these sports on any other TV but hers. Grandma would become excited and feign the names for shouting, Black shorts or white shorts, as the fights wore on and became exciting to her. Laughing? She had the most wonderful laugh. She would coach me constantly in showing me pictures of my dad's family. There were many aunts and uncles and cousins, big families. I could never keep them straight. Grandpa never said much to me, though he was pleasant enough. He just didn't fuss over me like Grandma did. I learned later that he thought my dad no good. He thought him useless. They had many children. I guess with that many kids, you can hate some. It was Fanny that arranged my first meeting with my father after she heard I was no longer living with my mother. It pained her that I was in a foster home, as she suspected all kinds of horrible things happened to children in facilities. No amount of my explaining to her that I was living with a family could sway her image of my situation. A rendezvous was arranged, but I was not very enthusiastic about meeting my father. I was passionate about boys and music and my friends. I was 16. I had no interest in finding yet another parent, really. But I was a bit curious. I was bused north to the town where he lived with his girlfriend. I recall a forced kindness on his behalf. He wasn't a mean man, but he was obviously put up to this arrangement in some way. He would never have just volunteered. That was clear enough. He introduced me to his daughter, who was kind to me, and one of my half-brothers, who I would know better later in my life. One night, we were to have crab for dinner, and Pop was cooking it. We were left alone in the kitchen, and he was keen on showing me his expertise in this crab cooking process. Taking advantage of the homey moment, I bravely volunteered that I was in love with a drummer, and Pop, sensing this as his opportunity to impart some wisdom to his daughter, he immediately interjected his disapproval. No! You want to be with someone who uses his hands! Just as he said this, the live crab he was preparing to throw into the boiling pot of water grabbed the tongs and began wildly waving them at my dad, who gingerly disarmed the doomed crustacean with a laugh. My father, the drummer, and my future handyman husband were all cancers. Later, when I was divorcing my carpenter labor husband, I remember reflecting upon Pop's advice and it occurred to me that I may have been too hasty to accept what he inferred at my seeking out a man who works with his hands. What did he think drummers used to drum? Telepathy? When he put me on the bus back home, that was the last I saw or heard from my pop until the 80s, when I would seek him out. I was off on to my life, but as I think about it over time, 
Every time in my life that I cross paths with my father, it would somehow affect me by driving my issues into some kind of hyper-extended drama. That is, there would be a heightened vibe to the kind of adventures I would have. Mostly not my favorite.